Sisters podcast with Nicole and John Ellen. Thank you for joining us for uh, another edition, another episode of the Radical Awareness podcast. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Hi, John. <laughs> um, today it is us chatting with us. <laughs> About what, exciting. about what we love to talk about most, which is yoga. Yoga, but, especially from a trauma-informed perspective or a mm. trauma-sensitive perspective. A trauma-aware perspective. A trauma-attuned perspective, mm. um, what do all these things mean. And this, what we're going to kind of discuss today is this idea of meeting yourself where you are, simplicity and complexity. Mm. Um, and... And the nature that, whether it's trauma-informed yoga or just kind of trauma-informed being, one, the foundation is based in compassion mm. right, boundaries. But two, there is, there is a lot of complexity to what we're kind of doing and asking and attuning to. And at the same time, it's actually all very simple when we align ourselves with ourselves. And but that's complex. Out there in the... In the wellness world of, mm -hmm. uh, in the world of things like Instagram and YouTube Shorts and all of these wonderful things, Facebook. If you know, if anyone's still doing that, I'm pretty sure they are. <laughs> um, there is a lot of advice out there about what to do, mm. and it can be a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Which is where we come back to this this idea, this concept of simplicity. Which really could also, well, I think we should start with this idea of it's safety first. Yes. So when we're looking at trauma-informed, we'll say yoga, you know, um, safety first, having a foundation of safety within yourself, so internally and externally, is the most important thing before being able to go and do anything else. So let's talk about external safety and then internal safety. Alrighty. Just so, to Just to put some... Put some boundaries around those things so that then we can break those boundaries down <laughs> so there was a show we were watching on netflix i think it was called georgia and jenny yeah yeah jenny yeah. jenny and georgia great show and um she would refer to it as heat and eat so if you don't have you know shelter warmth clothing food all of those basic needs met then that's all you're focused on right you can't go and do any other elaborate work you can't be in a a, on a spiritual path doing you know any kind of development because your heat and eat is out and i love love how that's brought into that show and that understanding of of you, trauma you can't do healing work while you're still being traumatized is, is the base, basic underlying you can't do lesson. healing work yeah without being safe and external safety is going to mean that you actually have a place to live mm. that you feel comfortable in which is i say that lightly but a lot of people might have a place to live but they don't actually feel safe there um, that you, you know, you have warmth, you have clothing and things that you need to mm. feel warm and comfortable. Um, you have you have enough resources, money or garden or whatever it is to have food, the amount of food that you feel comfortable and safe with. Um, and those basic things, you're able to sleep when you need to sleep, eat when you need to eat, move when you need to move. And then the next step out from that externally would be that you actually have a, like a co-regulating other in your life. So someone who kind of sees you for who you actually are um, and can hold you in your vulnerability basically and it's probably might be a reciprocal relationship and notices when maybe you're off center or when you're mm. um 
out of whack and can help bring you back and that they more often than not recognize the ways to bring you back mm-hmm. and don't don't let you being out of center take them out of center mm. and don't judge you for it you know and yeah. it's not for a lot of people this is a, a really um, compassionate therapist or coach or someone like that if they don't have a a relationship in their life that's offering that which when you've experienced trauma especially within the family dynamic or just you know when you've had it it kind of tends to repeat throughout your life where it's hard to create those relationships depending on the attachment patterns and things that have happened in early life and so it can be really hard to find regulation with other people within yourself when everyone around you is dysregulating you meaning that you struggle to kind of find your center that you're not necessarily in what we'll call an internal safe space that you're either kind of high or very low or that sort of sympathetic activation through the nervous system or this more dorsal kind of collapsed state and that whether if you start off with a therapist you know with someone that you're seeing who you create really positive uh, safe rapport with then you've got someone who's helping you helping you regulate yourself but through the process of co-regulation as they regulate themselves they can help you to bring come into that state and when we're talking about regulation, if you're not really familiar with it, we can think about it, liken it to this sense of internal safety. So it means that you actually feel safe in your body. If you've never asked yourself that question or thought about it, you might be like, oh, yeah. But it's, it's more nuanced than that. It's like, can you actually be in your body and be okay with it? Can you feel your feet connected to the earth? Can you feel your butt on the chair right now? Do you, can you feel be in your body? at ease? Yeah. There's so often in our very demanding lives, demanding of our time, demanding of our attention, demanding of all of these things, being at ease is a struggle. And even if it's the complete opposite, if you have no demands on you at all, you have no purpose. Or responsibility. That that really can take you to a place of feeling out of ease as well. Because you go into that that dorsal state, that what's what's the point, that apathetic place. And so safety is in the middle. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, if you feel internally safe, you could maybe connect with your breath, right? Mm. And actually feel the breath in your body and maybe even enjoy the breath or the breath becomes like a, a sensual experience. You might be able to notice your heartbeat and kind of be okay with the fluctuations with your you know, heart racing in that more up-regulated sympathetic state or slower, more down-regulated to be like, oh, isn't that curious? I would say with internal safety, there is a sense of curiosity, exploration, um, a natural arising of kindness towards yourself um, and the ability to just know that things are changing and that that's okay and that your body can feel tension but it can also feel space. And so we can look at this as being safe because you're in your body so you kind of own your own somatic experience you own your your soma right your body your mental activity your emotions you're very connected to that um what's i gonna say there's a real understanding of your own boundaries and that then relates out into the world as well yes so if if that's not there, right? Oh, sorry. This is this is also called interoception. Was I about to say? Um, interoception. So the ability to sense yourself, to know yourself from the inside out, to actually sense and feel what's going on, but from a place of, in a way, stepping back, like you're able to observe that. To be the perceiver, you yeah. might say. To have which perception. Which can seem, 
can seem strange, right? Like mm. for people who have experienced a lot of trauma, like which is all of us to a degree, um, it's weird to think, well, who, who's watching me, right? How is there two voices inside my head or, or many more? And what does that mean? And this ability to kind of step back and observe and be like, hey, this too will pass and will change is very much the ability of interoception, um, sometimes referred to as our eighth sense. But it is also the sense of safety to be like, I can actually inhabit my body safely. I can trust my body. There has to be a level of trust to have safety, right? So if if the trauma you've experienced has been, you know, the, where the, it feels like the body has betrayed you in some way, which remembering that early life trauma can lead to many things like chronic conditions, chronic um, illness, autoimmune, cancer, you know, all of this sort of stuff, which then can feel like it's come out of nowhere, which can then feel like your body is attacking you, which then leads to not trusting your body, which then leads to not feeling safe in your body. Okay, so it can happen in all these different directions of why we wouldn't necessarily feel safe because we don't have trust, so we don't have kindness for ourselves. And then when that safety, when that basis isn't there, so when you've got your external safety, very important when you're starting to go in to, on a journey of maybe healing or wanting to do something like trauma-informed yoga, then we need to start cultivating internal safety. Now, most people who turn up to say something like trauma-sensitive yoga are, probably do not have internal safety. So then it's like, well, what do we do? Because there's, there's a few things that are going to make either things worse or make things better. Mm-hmm. And if I'm saying to somebody who doesn't have any internal safety or trust in their body and can't sense it, has a low level of what we'd call interoception, I'm saying, okay, now notice how you're breathing. Now we're going to breathe deeper. Now you're going Close to breathe in for eyes. a count of five and you're going to do this and this and this. All of these things that are going to really downregulate your nervous system and you're going to feel safe and good. Within that moment when the person doesn't have the fundamental safety already, they're probably having a huge internal reaction, whether it's very sympathetic, whether it's collapsed and frozen, or just general dissociation. Right? Mm. And then there's a real roller coaster of they might start analyzing the fact that they're supposed to be feeling downregulated, they're supposed to be feeling good, and then they're not. So then they think they're broken, and then over laying shame on top of all of the situation that and they're what dealing with. you, as the person witnessing them may see, is just someone who's smiling and like, thanks so much, that was great. <laughs> That's called fawning. <laughs> and this idea of the only safe thing to do to survive is make sure that you validate the teacher to be like, yeah, yeah, what you said worked and I'm fine. For many reasons, right, of the fear of just not basically obeying the authority in that sense, mm. but also what John just said, these feelings of shame, and feeling broken, like, oh my gosh, everyone else must be experiencing that. I'm the only person who's this broken, is a really common feeling. And I mean, I know for myself, I've 100% felt that. It's, um, it's a very real state of our physiology, our sort of nervous system response to things. When we don't have that safety is to go into these spirals of kind of self-blame and shame and hopelessness and I'm broken. So coming to the practices and knowing if you're looking for trauma-sensitive, trauma-informed classes in yoga or anything, that it's really important that the basis of what we're doing is meeting ourselves where we are at in that moment, not where you were yesterday, not where you want to be tomorrow. Not where you expect yourself to be based on the time of day or based on the personality you're supposed to turn up to yoga with. Or how much therapy you've done, you know, it's this whole... It doesn't matter because everything can kind of affect us and take us into certain things. We're such... We're such messy beings, right? We're not straight lines. It's not all easy and fine. It's like 
when you turn up to any practice, you can do this whether you, when you wake up in the morning, but just say in the context of trauma-sensitive yoga, and you pause and you, you find the ground, right? Where am I on the ground? Can I feel myself connected to the floor? Can I notice the space I'm in? Can I look around and orient myself and just be like, okay, here I, here I am. Here I am in my body, connected to the floor, about to have an experience. Can I lean into some sense of curiosity? Maybe not, right? That's okay. And then maybe you start to just meet your body, meet the sensations. Maybe you meet your breath. How is your breath moving? And then the first stage of noticing might be, I can't notice my breath. Mm. Am I breathing? You might put your hand on your body. You might be like, I'm, I know that I'm breathing because I haven't passed out. And that's the level that you know you're breathing. And that's meeting yourself where you're at today. Absolutely. And know that if you found it yesterday, it doesn't mean you're going to find it in the same way today. Mm -hmm. That a technique that worked three days ago, the last time you were on the mat or or working with yourself doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work today. You're in a different, slightly different nervous system state to then. You're in a different environmental situation. You have a different amount of sleep. You're in a different part of your cycle. You're at a different time of the day. You've got a different level of food in your belly. There's so many factors that need to be considered because we're not just a nervous system. We're also a digestive system. We're also every system all at once right now all the time yeah mm. all together and so everything to come into <coughs> coherence a lot of parts need to be all happening together mm. what's really amazing and the sort of optimistic perspective is that your body is always trying to bring you back into harmony and balance mm. it's actually on your side our perception our internal perception can really confuse that or what's sometimes said is neuroception but you think about it like your perception can kind of trick you into thinking your body is not on your side. And yes. so this process of meeting yourself where you're at, maybe in every moment or just even just for like two minutes each day of like, where am I right now? Can I notice my state? Oh, my heart rate is elevated, you know, or actually I can't really feel my feet connected to the ground or oh, I do have like a, like a lot of tension in my body today. And that's all we need to do is start tuning in and being very honest with where you're at and then taking little steps in the direction of finding greater connection to yourself and not pushing or forcing or trying to do all the the, the so-called good healthy things because you know ideas of health change all the time mm. so when we think we know something or it's like this is the diet this is the exercise this is the supplement in we five just years discovered time, it that's going to change so don't stress yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> what feels good for you, you know? It's like for someone, having a green juice every morning is great. And for others, having a black coffee and a croissant is great. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe they have equal nourishment depending on what what you need. That's in a that bit controversial, time. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I really... <laughs> I think it, it's interesting because if, you know, if you don't understand... What did I put here? If you do, yeah, if you don't understand yourself now, it's not working, right? So if you don't actually, if, or if you're doing all of these good things, whether it's movement classes, diet, massage, whatever, but you don't actually have a more expensive connection to yourself and understanding your system, and you're still kind of being a dick, basically, if I can put that in a less crass way, mm. but you know, not necessarily treating yourself or those around you with 
love and respect, then all the things you're doing aren't actually working, depending on what your goal is. And often we've just got, okay, well, I was told that I should do yoga and, and some, I was told that I should eat salad. And do and, some journaling. And some journaling and I should make a vision board yeah. and I should do some Pro- ice baths. Probably, probably an ice bath every day yeah or, or at least a cold I definitely shower need to get a sauna and i'm going to take all these supplements um you should definitely swim in the ocean i'll walk for half an hour and and so you but go barefoot. through your day barefoot. i'll take a, a moment where i stand and i do my three breaths because i didn't want to sit all day at my desk because that's not good but also you need some sun so you need to take your that's take true. your top off and make sure you get sun on your chest as well and definitely don't have white refined sugar because that's the devil um and only have one coffee, but have it before this time, and, and then drink should, herbal tea. And you should balance out your serotonin and melatonin to get the exact right amount of sleep. And you probably need some collagen. I don't yes. even know what that's about, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's popular right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and again, no disrespect to any of these things, but... They can work. If you're doing them all and ticking a list and nothing is changing, you're like, I'm not good inside. I'm all like, you're, you're faking it real well on the outside, right? If you still feel stressed more than not. It's, it's not working. It's not working. It's not working as well as it could. The good news is, right, is that you don't actually have to micromanage your entire day with all of the good activities and feel under all this pressure from yourself and from others. There's just another way. It's not a quick fix because, guys, there is no quick fix. There's no quick fix. It's being in your life and forming this connection to yourself, the connection to understand who you are, this ability to, with a lot of compassion and self-understanding or even just okayness, to say, hey, where am I at today? Mm. Okay, what did I notice? What do I actually feel like? Do I feel like a coffee? Do I feel like a green juice? Do I even know I what know feeling like a coffee is or mm. feeling like a green juice is? Or do I just do it in a sense of rhythm or in a sense of I read a list? Uh, an article that said the green juice or the eating pineapple every day will make me happy. You know, it's, it's understanding where, and this leans into yogic philosophy, it's like where has the information come from? Is it coming from your innate wisdom, which would be coming from the internal safety your body has created to then filter through information and messages, send that back up so your gut, your heart, and your brain are communicating coherently to say, today, I'm having a coffee. And then tomorrow, you wake up and you go, I really want like a, a green smoothie. And actually, actually, I really want to fast. Like, I don't actually feel hungry. And my body just is leading me to, to not have as much food today. Wow, that feels nourishing. Not I have to do that because I'm out of balance and this is what will bring me back in. And this, I need this many grams of fat and this many grams of protein and this many grams of, I don't know what the other things are. And again, um, nothing wrong with any of it. Yeah. But I think, um, can you just speak to the places where it's this understanding from your philosophy of how we know what we know? Yes, so we're talking about the vrittis. The, the, Sorry, the vrittis. Yes, um, so the first of the... Yogic Vrittis, known as Pramana, um, talks to this idea of right knowledge, which is kind of the baseline of all philosophy, because it starts to ask the question of how do we know what we know and why do we trust it? Why do we care? Why, why is this information the right information for you? And how do you find that out? And the, the kind of classic ways of looking at it are, well, there's direct perception. Like you, you saw something, smelt something, tasted something, read something, whatever, and you decided it was correct, it was true, it was right for you, you definitely believe it. Um, Then there's inference based on what you already know, 
there you can deduct that something else is true and the classic example there is where there's smoke there's fire you know that to create smoke there has to be fire so even if you can't see the fire and you see the smoke you can deduce that there's definitely fire and that's another way so an inference is taking information and using what you know to be true with that new information and putting things together and then the third one is trusting somebody else other trusted sources and so what can happen with that third one is we can be tricked we can be fooled we can be mistaken most often i believe with that third one yeah and thank you for explaining it's like we are only mistaken because we have such a low level of interoception mm. and internal safety and <clears throat> trust in ourselves that we've decided that someone else, like, will they have a university degree? Will they wear a white coat? Whatever. That as soon as we put all of our trust in them, because we haven't got it internally, so we have a lack of discernment, which means when we hear it, we don't hear it and filter it through ourselves. It's like it just goes to the brain and then we're like, that's a fact now and we just hold it there and we don't question if we actually align with it. If someone's like, this is the truth, actually as humans, our kind of birthright is to take what someone else says as truth, to filter it through our whole system. You imagine every cell of your being filtering that information and then being like, is it, is, does it feel true to me? Sometimes, absolutely. Two Other glasses times, of water a day or yeah. one or less, or none, or five. I mean, that changes all the time. This is the interesting thing. And people will say, oh no, but there are facts. I'm like, there are very minimal facts. There are much, there are less facts than you think. <laughs> there are people doing studies, say using the scientific method, which as lovely as it is, it has its faults because we understand now that the observer will affect the scientific outcome of an experiment. And which they're means creating you're selling water, true observations. Like <laughs> if you want actually, to look at water. Yeah. They're not lying. They're not trying to deceive. They observe something. We're more complex though, John. They saw that it happened. They, that was their direct perception of the situation. They wrote it down with their level of inference. And then they put it out to the world. So they're not lying. They're not trying to deceive, hopefully. And then what needs to happen is you need to try it for yourself. And then be like, it's okay. It's, you know, it's really hard as well. It's okay when if it doesn't work. Everyone agrees on something and you're like, it doesn't sit with me. That feeling of it doesn't sit with me. It doesn't sit in me. Like it's like your body, your cells actually reject a certain truth. And you're like, no, but your brain might be like, no, but that's the truth. And we have to believe that to belong to that group. And your body's saying, that's not true. There's something here. Or just, I'm not quite there yet. I need more evidence. I need more personal interaction with this so-called truth to understand it. And that is the essence of being human, that we are allowed to always sit in the state of, I'm not really buying into anything. Mm. You don't have to. And from also yogic philosophy, this idea that truth is fluid. Love this. This can really challenge you if you're like, you're rigid, right? You're kind of in the state of, there are facts and this is the way it is and life is stagnant and we are machines. I'm like, believe what you want. It's all good, man. But... Truth is so much more fluid. And again, just watch over the last 100 years, 200 years, things that have been like, that's definitely a truth, and then have been completely flipped on their head. Oh, no, we got that wrong. Oh, sorry. But it's like we forget the fact that science gets things wrong all the time. And not just science, any area of thought and exploration in the mm -hmm. human game, whatever we want to call it, because we're all just humans, just like what John said, with our own form of knowledge, our own belief. And we can be so fixated on what we know to be true. I'm the same. We're all like that. 
but just being careful that can we evolve can we stay attuned to our own body can we trust the wisdom of our body of ourselves our somatic selves right to be so like oh that's back. evolving and changing yeah so we come back to how do we do that how do we cultivate that mm. how do we find that how how can you build the skill of trusting yourself we have to try you have to test things out you have to be like oh i feel it can be uncomfortable i feel this so i'll act in this way was that a positive result was that the correct action what mm. did that actually work for me ah oh, i feel stressed i'm gonna try this breathing technique and it worked and then maybe you try it again and it doesn't that might not be your breathing technique mm. and then the next day it works and then the next day it doesn't and what we say a lot in this context is if in doubt do a little bit less less is more regress to ultimately progress and this idea of doing less you can think of it as titration right mm. so we're just sort of we try a little bit and then we're like oh yep okay or a little bit too much but so often it's this idea of do more and that'll be better mm. and in yoga classes i mean i obviously love yoga love the practice and you know it's it's being taught in a way that isn't necessarily cultivating internal safety it's not necessarily yes does yoga work for you every day no <laughs> thank you john and sometimes it needs to be radically different depending on the day my mood um, my cycle all of those things and so if you go to a yoga class and someone is like Put your right foot at this degree, put your left foot at this degree, stand here, hold, breathe in for five, breathe out for four, we're gonna hold like this, don't move, stay in the pose, watch your mind, bypass your body. <laughs> if you don't have a sense of internal safety, right, you don't have this ability to filter through truth, to say, is this true for me? If that, if that skill hasn't been cultivated yet, remembering for a lot of people it has not, then you're bypassing your truth and you're not getting any closer to yourself. In fact, you're doing the opposite. You're getting further away from yourself, mm. right? You're, you're, you're disempowering still, yourself. Yeah, bypassing your natural communication structure internally where your body's like, actually, I need to have less of a bend in my front knee or actually my foot needs to just go out a little bit more towards the right um, or actually I need to breathe at a different ratio to that. Uh, anything like that your body's communicating but it's just such a subtle whisper in the beginning when it's been shut down so many times or overridden by an external force and so as yoga teachers or whatever you're kind of doing it's like are you overriding people's experience to tune into them their own internal communication their interoception and are you robbing them of creating internal safety are you allowing them to be the scientist of their own experience or are you telling them the result before they've even done the experiment. Do you believe you know more about someone else's experience? And this doesn't, you know, to be a yoga teacher, you might be a parent or a school teacher or just have friends who you've decided aren't living in the best way for them and so suddenly you know more. And I would say, hoo hoo, <laughs> careful, <laughs> right? Because we all need to find the sense of safety and so we're so quick to judge ourselves and others, but this journey to coming back to ourselves is a complex journey like we mentioned right it's a slow journey but it's also relatively simple once you kind of get on the train of how do I start to notice how do I start to meet myself where I'm at and cultivate interoception internal safety 
And I'm using those interchangeably because I think they are interchangeable mm. um, with what this feels like, this trust. And sometimes, you know, giving out, we can kind of learn this ourselves and we can go into our life and really give ourselves this level of permission of like, oh, am I just doing something because someone told me to? And do I actually have the ability to go against what they're saying? And a lot of times, no. Like I can still, if I go to someone else's class, depending on how safe they feel yeah and how much their instructions are like this is the way like hopefully i'll do what feels right for me but a lot of times i'll either like ridiculously rebel which also isn't what my body actually wants to do or completely adhere to exactly what they're saying which also isn't what my body wants to do mm -hmm. and therefore I've, i'm overriding that communication and getting further away from myself which might mean that afterwards I actually feel very overwhelmed or very tired or very collapsed in this kind of dorsal state where there's a sense of what's the point, I'm a loser, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then that feeling can kind of come up maybe a few hours later and we don't necessarily correlate it to the fact that we weren't listening to ourselves and someone else kind of, we let someone else override our own internal authority. And so it's complex what we're dealing with. But at the same time, it, it's simple when we understand how to begin the journey back to ourselves. It's not just, it's not, it's definitely not a cognitive process. You need, you need a level of perception change. So that's the cognition using our brain to understand why we're doing what we're doing. But then it's a very embodied approach. So you have to actually carve out time really to, to make time to practice in a way which can be tiny and very much in the way that works for you to start to build this relationship back. Yeah, and the, I mean, the, the best piece of advice I think I could offer is to do less, to mm. start by doing less, to start by giving yourself actually more time, particularly if you are the type of person that is, is doing all of those things, that is working really hard to eat the right food and sleep the right amount and do all of these things that I would invite you to... If you to, have that desire. To, to yeah. soften to soften the reins a little bit and give yourself space to let some of these things assimilate because if you're doing lots of things you don't know which are the things that are working and so an opportunity to kind of pull back do less give yourself more time you actually can start to tap into the gems of wisdom that are sitting in your body waiting to be unlocked and waiting to be noticed waiting to be revealed and that through really simple practices or through approaching this whole simple not learning easy, yourself eh? <laughs> yeah learning about yourself um through really simple practices we can actually learn so much more and doing less and giving yourself time to assimilate gives you the opportunity to actually embody or really take in the learning so that then you can apply it moving forward so rather than rushing to add more and add more and add more and add more, which can be, I know myself, very, very tempting, um, doing less and giving yourself time to let it settle in is much more successful in my experience. Mm. So, and I also, we've talked a lot about like, use the examples of food quite a lot. Um, and I think it's a really, if you're sort of on the starting journey of reflection, Food is so important, right? Because it's very related to our safety and the perception mm. of safety. And it's something we generally, most of us, the majority of us, have to do, right? Or we don't really function that well. <laughs> and so honestly starting to look at your relationship with food from this 
internal kind of safety perspective of like, oh, why do I eat what I eat? What does what what makes me feel better? When do I eat? Because it's like I just want that emotional comfort food. And hey, there's zero judgment here for being like, I'm eating this because I want to not feel my feelings or I want to, you know, we call emotional eating. But that ability to just use food a as a resource, a survival mm-hmm. resource. And it's a beautiful thing. And, and what all we're trying to do is bring attention to it to actually be connected to what's going on without judgment. You know, how often we even either don't think about it um, or in a sense lie to ourselves or others because of the shame around food. But it can be a really beautiful way just to start yourself and just go into it. But slowly, like, and I'm not talking about changing anything you're eating. That's not what I'm saying. Mm. It's looking at it and being like, huh. You know, some of us, it can be different things. Some of us eat more to feel safer. Some of us eat less to feel safer. Some of us are highly controlled with our food. Some of us are highly no control with the food. The spectrum can be in every direction. None is better or worse whatsoever. You know, it's just a really fascinating place to notice, like what happens in my body when I eat this or do I, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking about food or I'm actually really, really stressed when I have to eat, you know, I don't want to eat that. I feel like I'm bracing and tension. I'm nervous about the food or I don't deserve the food and these layers of understanding and then being like, I wonder what my body actually wants. Can I tune into that sense of, you know, they say just eat when you're hungry. I'm like, that's a pretty hard thing to know for most of us. Yeah, if you don't have internal safety, yeah, yeah, an interoception, you don't know when you're actually hungry. Most of us, right, when they, you really look at we don't actually need that much food to just, if we were pure machines and we were functioning on it, right? Most of it, it is derived through pleasure and desire and connection with others and the process of making food. Nothing wrong with any of that, but can you tune into all the different things? And maybe it's, well, I like this food because it reminds me of when I was a child with my mother and we would go and get, you know, these things and or we had this at Christmas or all of that stuff. But it can be a really, if you're looking sort of ways to start just noticing you don't even need to write it down you just start noticing it and being like oh and you might notice oh i don't want to look at that Mm. and then that's it that's your form of noticing like oh that makes me really uncomfortable to think about my relationship with food and i think i I speak to this as well because it was definitely a, a huge way in for me and had a very dysfunctional relationships with food and when i first did i did vipassana which if you've heard of it it's like a 10 day um, silent meditation retreat, uh, Buddhist kind of style. And I did this before I ever meditated. I was very extreme. It was way too much, too fast. But it brought up this all the relationship with food, and I just sort of cried for days, but really related to food, like how I had this kind of disrespectful relationship to myself and to the food and to others. Like it was amazing how that came up. So I probably bring this up because of my own experience, but... It's just something none of us can really avoid. You know? It's such a great topic. And I think um, we talked also about, you mentioned the word judgment. And I think even in the beginning, don't even try and drop the judgment. God, no. <laughs> just start by noticing that there is judgment. And then as soon as as soon as you notice that there is judgment, you're walking towards the skill of discernment. Mm. And so inside judgment is some level of discernment mixed in with some level of trauma, Mm. some level of you were told to behave in a certain way, which took your choice away, therefore trauma. 
And so that takes something from discernment, which is knowing what you want for you in this moment, and turns it into a level of judgment. And so when you're looking outside first, because looking outside can definitely feel a lot safer than starting to look inside. And so looking outside first and just judge. Absolutely judge. Go judge all of the things. Know that you're judging. And then that process will start to take you in the direction of discernment if you accept the fact that you're actually judging and judging these decisions and judging yourself and judging others. That's going to take you in this direction of discernment, which is a step towards interoception. Mm, thanks, John. It's interesting, actually. We do a lot of um, you know, reflection processes on the teacher trainings we run. And so often we'll have these concepts um, that we're working with in, in the philosophy. And so many people in their first kind of few goes of reflecting are talking all about the people they know all about everyone else around them and very really reflecting on themselves and it is a form of safety of like I don't feel necessarily safe to actually look at this myself it's easier to look at others and it's okay it's one way in you know but it is an interesting thing that has to happen and knowing that there is you're not doing it wrong like right now you're not doing it wrong mm. and by it I mean life <laughs> you're not you just you're doing the best you can with the internal and external resources you have and all we're suggesting is there is this very nuanced way of starting to come back to yourself, but it's actually more relaxing than thinking you've got to do all these huge changes or investing money and time and lifestyle and be like, what can I use to just come back to myself? And coming back to yourself ultimately is a journey of enjoyment and it is a, it is a journey of self-love and compassion, but that term, this idea of self-love and compassion is so lofty that we don't just one day be like, oh, I'm on a self-love journey, I've now I love myself. It. No, that, it's, it's more like you're on a journey to be like, I'm committing to get to know myself, to mm. maybe fall in love with little bits of myself at a time. But along the way, you are still going to experience self-loathing, self-hate, self-judgment, and then moments of self-love of like, oh, I was kinder to myself oh, right yeah. now. That was amazing. I was different. I didn't go as quickly to judge myself or I actually didn't overcommit all of my time and I took time for myself or, you know, whatever it is. And then in the next minute, you're judging yourself and, you know, hating yourself and whatever. You That's haven't okay. gone backwards. It's a spiral. It's okay. It's like that is the process of unwinding and being like, oh, look, I exist in a state of expansion, right? finding kindness and I also live in a state of contraction where maybe that judgment sneaks back in and then I know that both of these states will change, they will pass and that maybe that's okay because I'm meeting myself where I'm at today. And that's our invitation to you. <laughs> that is our invitation, John. Yeah, yeah, so you're welcome if you would like to <laughs> meet yourself where you're at right now in this moment. You might choose to notice your connection to the floor right now. You might choose to notice the sensations of the parts of your body that are connected to the support you're standing or sitting or walking on or driving. And then maybe you even notice your breath and notice where you're at with your inhale and where you're at with your exhale. And that's enough. That's yeah, a lot. Done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And so, thank you. 
we so appreciate it if you listened to this entire podcast. Yes. And even the fact that you've found a podcast called Radical Awareness and you're listening to this particular episode, you're ready, you know? <laughs> you're ready to notice something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and even we? if you notice that you notice nothing, that's still the act of noticing, which is building the skill of interoception. Mm. So you can celebrate that too, even with all your judgment that you're also noticing. <laughs> Maybe. I don't want to say you are judging, you know. We might be projecting our own judgments on ourselves. It can get a little bit, you know, we like dwindle right into this very small kind of detail and then you sort of zoom back out. But just to know that if you've ever felt crazy or neurotic or like it's just you or you're broken, you're not. It's okay. There is another way through this and um, it's slow, but it is, it is beautiful, you know. We're all crazy. We're all neurotic in our own ways. Exactly. <laughs> Which is perfect. Thanks so much for listening to us and um, we'll see you on the next podcast. Yes. And by see you, I mean assume you'll hear us because yes. we can't hear you. <laughs> Many thanks for listening. Please do feel free to share this with others that you might think might like to listen as well. The, the Radical, Radical Awareness, Awareness Podcast. Podcast.